Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. All right. Everybody good? I so thoroughly loved last week our resurrection service. Uh, just a great day, great worship, just um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal day. And um, and the sermon was all right, but the, the people, I mean, just everybody here and just the love and the, the new life was awesome. So thank you so much for being here. And so that kind of is my segue into today's message, the Sunday after Easter. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to, if you have your Bibles, we're going to preach and, and discover out of the last chapter of the book of John, John chapter 21. John chapter 21. This is John's account of the life of Jesus. And this is also the post-resurrection chapter. So as we celebrated last week, Jesus is alive. He is resurrected from the dead. Why do you seek the living from among the dead, right? He is not here. He rose just as he said he would, right? And so Jesus is alive. And so now what? So we don't want to... One of the things I don't like about one-day holidays is like once that day is over, it's kind of like, well, that's done. Let's move on to the next thing. Well, the next thing, we don't ever talk about the next thing anymore. I think there ought to be a national holiday about the ascension, right? I think there ought to be a appearing holidays where he appeared to many. I think there ought to be a holiday about today, which is uh, Peter's reaffirming, right? Uh, And so what I'm trying to say is we all need to go fishing. Who's up for going fishing? Okay, some of you are like, the river's too high. All right, so so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're leading right in from the resurrection into Peter. Peter is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Not necessarily because um, I think he's the most powerful character, although he is very powerful. I just think I could relate to this guy. He has got more personality than any other figure that I think in the scriptures. I mean, he is full of personality. There are some days he is a rock, and there are some days he's a traitor. And there's and it just feels like, you know, he's kind of all, all over the place at different times. And I go, well, I kind of understand how that, you know, that, that could be. I could be that way sometimes too. Somebody say amen. All right. And so um, this is the story of Peter after the resurrection. John is writing, and, you, and, and I like Peter and John. They have the most personality of the disciples, and it's almost like they have this secret feud going on because John's going to say stuff in this chapter like, well, you know, the one whom Jesus loved the most. And uh, I ran faster, you know, just a couple of chapters ago. I ran fastest. Right? So John and Peter have this like, you know, like all good men have this this uh, competition going on. Who Who's the best, Right. And this is not crazy to think about because they're the same disciples who said, who's going to be the greatest, right? And so, but we all understand that, or at least the guys do. And so this is that story. I want to pray, and then we're going to jump into it. Holy Spirit, we love you. Yes. It's okay to join me in prayer with some amens and agreement. So Holy Spirit, we love you. Amen. We are grateful and thankful for your presence. Yes. We're honored to be able to gather together as the saints and to to worship with one another and to hear the word and be encouraged and have uh, hands laid on each other and be encouraged and strengthened in our faith. God, it is good to be together as the house of the Lord. So we pray that you would right now, that you would right now give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ, that you would open up our hearts to see clearly into our own hearts. That's my prayer this morning, that we would see clearly into our own hearts and that we would be able to be conformed and transformed more into the image of Jesus and conform to his will. Everybody say conform to his will. That's my prayer, God, that we would be more conformed to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. amen. So after these things, Jesus manifested. How come... The only time we talk about manifestation is the devil these days. Anyway, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again. This is actually the third time he manifested himself. He showed him, I mean, there's, there's several appearings after the resurrection. Again, 
Think about the craziness of what this one little sentence says. There was a man who was dead, but is now alive, and in his resurrected bodily form, manifesting himself as not a dead man, but as a live man, with unique abilities such as walking through walls and translating from point A to point B just like that. You know, and, and the ability to, um, this is very important, the ability to be 100% himself but unrecognizable. The disciples on the road to Emmaus have no idea they're talking to Jesus and they had been with Jesus. Uh, in this story, Peter recognizes Jesus by the things he does, not because he recognizes his physical appearance. Okay, so this is resurrected, glorified body, Jesus, 100% fully human, fully alive, okay? After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he, uh, anybody ever been to Tiberias? Raise your hand. It was very cool, and there's a big sea there, right? And, uh, right? and so, and he manifests himself in this way. Let's go to verse 2. Simon Peter, this is the subject of our conversation today. And Thomas called Didymus, poor guy, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Just keep on rolling for me, brother. Verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, let's go fishing. Peter, as we all know, by trade, was a professional fisherman. Jesus, let's, let's just kind of skip back to here. Jesus sees him, calls him as a disciple. Famous line, right? Come and follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. men. So Peter returns to what is familiar. But really nothing's familiar anymore. Y'all understand what I'm saying? You have walked with Jesus Christ for three and a half years. You've seen things your eyes can't unsee. Are y'all with me? You have walked with Jesus Christ for three and a half years. You've seen things your eyes can't unsee. You've seen leopard cleanse. You've seen blind men see again. You've seen lame men walk again. You've seen dead people. You saw Jesus stop a funeral procession and raise up. I mean, you've seen things that forever change your life. It's not like you can just go back to normal. And not only that, that's, that's the, the, you've heard teaching that when the man spoke, your spirit did stuff you didn't know was possible. Like you came alive on the inside, for only you have the words of life, they said. And so you experienced this man for three and a half years. You're 24-7. The full identity of your entire life was wrapped up in this man. And then the unthinkable happened. He got killed, murdered. Was not the plan in Peter's eyes. And so now he's under extreme disillusionment to the point, discouragement, disillusionment, uh, to the point where he would deny this man three times. And then once he is just distraught and he's got a friend who murdered himself, right? And he's got, and everybody's scared and everybody is, is, is hiding and, 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 and everything seems lost as if the story would just end there. No, one night you're sitting there and a dude walks through the wall. Right? A dude walks through the wall. He sits down, and oh my gosh, that's Jesus because we've got hands with holes in them and, and feet with holes in them. And then when this man speaks and he begins to talk about the Old Testament, their whole mind is blown again. And after all that, I, I can totally relate right here. After all that, it's like your brain is scrambled eggs, and you're like, Let's go fishing again. You see what I'm saying? Like we read this story like it's just a regular story. But you got to understand, the call to go back to fishing is, I don't know if he's on autopilot. I don't know what is going on in his heart and what is going on in his life. But I think that his whole world for three and a half years had been so turned upside down that he's just looking for something that feels familiar because nothing feels right right now. Does that make sense? So with me? They said to him, yeah, we're going to go with you. 
we're going to go fishing with you, okay? All right? And uh, this is just a side note to say that if you go fishing but don't invite the rest of the disciples, that is shame on you. Especially Chester, okay? Shame on you, right? Who would go fishing if somebody invited them? Amen, all right. So you take me fishing or you're, or you're not being biblical, okay? It's okay to laugh. Okay, never mind, okay. They went out and got into the boat. They went out and got into the boat at night because that's when you go fishing. And it's almost like you could, you could rewind the story and read the first encounter just right over again. Is, is this, this is, I don't know at what point Peter has the aha moment, but it's everything's feel like it's on repeat. It's right, it's, it's rinse, wash, and repeat, okay? And so verse 4, they're catching nothing. When the day was now breaking, had fished all night, haven't caught anything. This sound familiar? Fished all night, haven't caught anything. Jesus stood on the beach, although he is not recognizable as Jesus. They see a man, but they don't see him for who he is because everything's changed. It makes sense? Even Jesus Christ himself, who is the same yesterday and forever, is not is not manifesting in the way he used to manifest. Man, if you got to hear for what the Spirit is saying, you need to hear what I'm saying right now. He's manifesting. He's the same man. He's not changing, but he's manifesting a different way than he did the first time. But it's the same way he did the first time. It makes sense? Same story, little bit different manifestation. Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, I mean, I love sarcastic Jesus, right? I can relate to that guy, sarcastic Jesus. He knows the answer to the question, but, you know, he's like, you boys catching anything, (laughs) right? Uh, Have y'all caught anything, right? I love doing, I love that kind of question. Children, children. You do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. He said to them, anybody want to guess what he said? Okay. Take your net. In the time of day when you're not supposed to catch fish. And put it on the wrong side of the boat. Again. Right? And see if you find anything. So... Again, it's hard for me to believe Peter, maybe he's a little slow like me too, but you know, it's hard for me to believe at some point he's not going, deja vu. This seems eerily familiar. And so instead of going, no, dude, that's not, see, kind of in the first story, it, there, was this, there was this conversation that's, you know, that's not how you catch fish, right? And the second time, there's no conversation. He goes, well, I've done this once before. Let's just see what happens here. So he takes his net, pulls them out of the wrong side, or excuse me, out of the right side, and puts them on the wrong side in the wrong time of day. So the Bible says that they cast them, but they were not able to, so they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Same story, right? Next verse, verse 7. Therefore... Aha! Ding! The light bulb goes off. That, okay, okay. So, yeah, I've been down this way before, right? And so he says, uh, it's Jesus. It's the Lord. Then he girds himself and takes a swim. Swim to the ocean, leaves the rest of the guys trying to get this catch at least secured, right? And then he swims in, verse 8. The other disciples came in a little, in a little boat, for they were not far away from land, about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. They're dragging this net full of fish and keep on going, verse 9. So when they got out, of, out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. It's kind of the answer to Jesus' first question, by the way. Y'all got any fish? You may not have, but I've got some fish, 
right? It's a rhetorical question. Jesus isn't in need of fish at the moment. He's really in need of them to realize what they do and do not have. Verse 11, bring some more of them fish you caught. All right, Simon Peter went up, drew the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. That's written in a way to tell you that's a miracle. This should have destroyed the nets, but it didn't. It's written in a way that these nets were rated for 55 fish, but it's 153, okay? And, and it's written in a way to, to, to further illustrate the miraculous uh, uh, implication the story holds, right? Uh, you, you shouldn't be able to contain everything that I've done in you in this moment, but you're not busting at the seams. Okay. Whew. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come, Let's have breakfast. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Somebody say amen. That's biblical. None of these disciples ventured to question him. They cannot physically recognize him, but they don't question and ask the question, who are you? Because they know, but they don't know based on sight. It you have an ear, hear what the Spirit is saying. They're not understanding this is Jesus because everything they see looks like what they've seen before. They actually don't even recognize physically the man in front of them. They feel, they know the events that they're going through and they understand that this may not be what Jesus looks like, but this is what Jesus does. So although everything's different and I can't physically see it with my own eyes, I understand in my heart this, this, this this is how Jesus does things. Okay? So, um... Uh, they didn't ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Verse, verse 13, Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and fish likewise. Verse 14, okay? Now, this is the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. Oh, uh, my bad, my bad. Uh, I'm going to keep reading for you right here. Um, so when they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me? And I want to stop right there. This story has been told, and it's been told oftentimes focusing on Peter and his restoration, basically from this idea that whenever he denied Jesus three times, he needed to be restored almost in faith, like to believe again that Jesus was who he says he is. Okay, but I want everybody to pay attention because this is important for us right now. This story isn't as much about Peter and his confession of faith. Like he knows, I don't think he ever denies that Christ is the Son of God, okay? He denies uh, association with him, but he doesn't really deny that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What this story is meant to emphatically imply that the listener needs to hear is the restoration of the calling on Peter's life. And if there's one thing that I could just kind of stop right now and plant a flag and say to everybody in this room, it may not look like what it used to look like. Three and a half years, lots of things have changed. The world's not even the same. We've seen things that we can't unseen with our eyes, right? Uh, there's been, there's been a, a worldwide pandemic, for, for goodness sake, right? I mean, nothing's the same. We all keep saying, I want to go back to the good old... And I'm telling you, the good old days aren't coming back. But there's still... This Jesus, and even he, I'm telling you, even he may not look like what he looked like three and a half years ago. But what he does is still the same that it's always been. He is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. The problem is we're looking for the past version of Jesus, and we're not able to see right in front of our eyes the man with the burning fire and food to feed the flesh. And what I want to say to you as a church this morning, individuals and as a body, as we kind of close one chapter with the signing of a piece of paper that says this season ends, now it's time to restore our calling. Now it's time to restore our callings. 
Everybody in this room, every person in the sound of my voice, you've got a God-given calling on your life. It's the same calling he called you with the first time. That's not changed. We're not looking for a new calling. We're looking to be restored in our original calling because things have happened along the journey that kind of got us like, ah, gun-shy. Let's try to return back to the what we know as much as possible. Let's try to get back to what is familiar as much as possible. And we're kind of gun-shy, and we're not operating in the fullness of our gifting and calling. So Jesus Christ takes Peter, and he reestablishes the, the two most important events of his life. One is the idea that this is how it began, and two is from this point forward, this is how it is. It began with the calling. I will make you into a fisher of men. I'm going to put this calling on your life that takes everything you knew. It takes the family generational uh, uh, legacy and even trumps that. Your daddy was a fisherman and his daddy was a fisherman. But I'm putting something on you that changes everything. For no longer are you just a fisher men, you're a fisher of men. So I put this calling on you. And then you're going to come and follow me. And we're going to walk through all this discipleship. And I'm here to tell you right now, uh, and, and, and don't hear this the wrong way, okay? Don't hear this the wrong way because the word is important. But there is as much discipleship and the teachings of Jesus and, and the instruction and the teaching of how to do all these things. But there is as much discipleship also in the come follow me even through a process you don't understand. Come watch me die and let it wreck your world and then learn from it so that I can take you from being just a fisher to a fisher of men. Amen. And then I will take you to another level. And this is where he says, listen to me. This is, listen to me. This is where he invokes one of the most, one of the most uh, gut-wrenching questions that God could ever ask man. Right? One of the most gut-wrenching questions God could ever ask a man, and the the question's not tied to his faith. The question's tied to his calling. And the question is this. Do you love me? Now, if I said right now, if I just stood here and I just looked in front of everybody, raise your hand if you love God. Let's try that one more time because you are scaring me real bad. Raise your hand if you love God. Okay. Good. So the answer to the question in Jesus' heart isn't yes or no. The answer is the question to Jesus' heart isn't like, well, good. Everything's fine, man. Let's just, you know, let's just go on our merry way. Uh, The answer to the question is, isn't even a matter of the idea of they're in right relationship. The answer to the question is directly tied that if you love me, do what I called you to do. Quiet in here all of a sudden. Three times. If you love me, then that original calling that was placed on your life, do what I called you to do. Do you love me? First time Peter's like, yeah, I love you. I love you, man. We're tight. We're bros. Do what I call you to do. Do you love me? First time he's like, yeah, that's, that. I mean, okay, yeah. I mean, he needs to ask this question. I kind of did betray him three times, right? So he probably needs to know. Second time, he's just a little bit put off. Like, I, I just answered your question, Right? I just, I just, like, you know when a man's telling the truth, you know when a man's lying. I've literally watched you in a room tell out loud the thoughts that other people were having. You know my heart. Why are you asking me this again? Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Like, what's going on here, right? Third time, it's straight up offensive. Do you love me? And he's not, he's not happy no more. He's aggravated. He's aggravated that the one who knows everything is still asking him this question. And he, Jesus says to him, tend my lambs. The idea is here again. 
the answer to the question of if you love God isn't found in our simple yes, isn't found in our, uh, uh, our faith or affection for him. It's found in our obedience to fulfill the calling that he put on his life, that he put on our life. Y'all with me? So fully disillusioned, he asked him this question, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And if you love me, you will do what I called you to do. Rewind. Rewind. Go back to a day when Jesus had just started off his ministry and it was exploding and Peter's probably right by his side and they're in this house, right? And so many people have come to this house that no one else can get through the door. They're, they filled the house. They filled every window. They're in every doorway. There's people standing outside the house. And his mama and his brother come, and they want to get up close to Jesus. And they can't get in the house. Y'all with me? And so somebody says, <clears throat> because, you know, they're good southern boys, and they know that their mamas need to be with their sons, right? And so, and so, hey, hang on, Jesus. Hang on, Jesus. We need to take a moment. We need to make room because your mama and your brother outside, they need to come up in here in his house and be next to you. And Jesus asked a ridiculous question to man, who is my mother and my brother? Who is my family? And the answer to the question about who is the family isn't a blood question. Although you could answer that question with covenant. But my point isn't a blood question. It's a he who does the will of my father. Goes back again to calling. That he who's doing the will of my father is my family. So again, who is the family? How do we, how do we show God we love him? Our, our coming together in this, in this environment and, love, and, and lifting our hands and worshiping and singing, that's not necessarily for, for us to prove to the fact that we love God. That's just a common, a basic response to the God of the universe. When God shows up, the, you fall on your face and you cry, holy. Okay, it's just, a, it's just a almost, it is the most natural response to God being present. We respond in worship. Literally, if you love me, the answer to that question throughout Scripture is more often about keeping calling and keeping commandments. If you love me, you obey my, my commandments. Okay? And so the idea of love is not proven from an emotional, although I'm not saying this is wrong, it's not, but, the, but the idea of love proven to God is because we, we've done what he's asked us to do. Do you love me? Then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Keep my commands. Do you love me? Then do the will of my Father. Does that make sense? And so here's who I'm talking to today. Young and old. People who've been in church for a long time. People who've not been in church for a long time. I'm talking to people in this room. And whoever listens to this message. And you love God. That's not the question. But you've kind of shrinked back from the calling on your heart and on your life. And I'm telling you today, one, it's going to look different than it did. Two, he's the same though. And the calling on your heart and on your life. It may have several different manifestations. I don't know, I'm not going to try to pigeonhole into you. What I'm not trying to get everybody to just go do what you used to do because I believe there's greater measures of calling. As a matter of fact, he calls him from fishing of men to call him to feeding of lambs. In other words, he puts him from an evangelistic role into an apostolic role. That makes sense? Y'all hear what I'm saying? He takes him from an evangelistic role primarily to an apostolic role where now, now you, you, uh, you bring in the food, but also now you feed the, you feed the people. Like it is your job to establish and feed the lambs, okay? Uh, uh, the, the strong apostolic shepherding movement, Peter, I need, you to, I need you to take over. So I'm not saying you have to go do exactly what you uh, ha- have done before, but I am saying there is a spiritual Calling from Jesus on every person present, and it is time after resurrection, 
after, after everything that's gone on, for us to go forward in our callings as individuals and as a church. Chester, what's that look like? Um, but before I get there, I want to read one more verse. Sorry, brother, I didn't give you this verse earlier, so this is not his fault. This is my fault. Um, I want to skip down to verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, because I want to, I want to, I want to, I don't want there to be any question mark about you from any person in the room. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 18, when you were younger, in other words, when you were younger, you did what you wanted to do. Anybody here? That's the immaturity of youth, is we think life's about us. Y'all out there? That's, that's the immaturity of youth, even on a physical, just surely human uh, 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 realm, fleshly realm, as we believe life's about us. But the sign of maturity is you realize your life is really about everybody else. That makes sense? And so when you were younger, you did what you wanted to do. Now listen to me, especially every person who is um, increased in um, wisdom and stature age. Okay, now listen, this is what I want to say to you. When you were younger, you did what you want to do. But the older you get, the more laid down life your life becomes. To the point that as an old man, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you would. But when you grow old, to the point that the last thing as an old man, Peter, you do is nothing you want to do, but everything that the calling has produced in you and taken you to, even to the point of death. And he's like, I don't know if I like that. And then he begins to play this game like, well, how come I got to die, but John ain't going to die? And Jesus responds to him, uh, I ain't talking to John, I'm talking to you. This ain't between me, you, and John. This between, and I'll, whoo, everybody hear me right now. God's not talking to everybody else in this room. God's talking to you. That even in your, the, the rest of your life, everybody in here is young, but when we one day get old, even for the rest of our life, we will spend every day in fulfilling the godly call that he has put on our life. Amen. And in that, we stand before God one day in judgment. And God looks and he, say, he looks at your life and he goes, listen to me, that person loves me. Well, what was the answer to the question? That person loves me because I see where they fulfilled their calling. Does that make sense, what I'm saying to you? So any person in this room and us as a church, I'm trying to present this in two ways. Every person and us as a collective. As we are closing the chapter, like literally this week, closing the chapter in one stage of the life of this church and beginning a new chapter, the first thing I would say to us in the rebirthing process in this new chapter of this church is every one of us need to go fulfill our calling in Christ. I'm not talking about just your job or your physical calling as far as the idea of, you know, I was created to be a, um, I'm a, I'm a terrible example. There's a handful, I'm talking about one, one handful of digits that your calling is to be full-time in ministry in this room. But for 99% of us, your calling will be just as important, if not more than mine. And it is to fulfill a legitimate overtly spiritual gospel calling on your life. I'm not talking about your occupation. Well, I was born to be a plumber. I was born to be a whatever. No, plumbing and all your occupation, those things are awesome. And those things are great. And, and, and those things give you the, but those things provide a realm for you to put your calling into it. You understand what I'm saying? I really would like to just, just talk to, to somebody in the room and, and, and let's just say you work in an office with, with three or four different people and I'm saying you, you may think that your, your role in life is to do this job. God never called you to a job. Uh, whenever I had children, uh, Ethan and, and, and Chad and, and Hannah, you know, they wash dishes all the time. It's great. 
Except sometimes, you know, the whole principle is if they can do 80% as good as you, then let them do it. Well, they do 75 as good as me, so I'm going to let them do it, okay? But <laughs> I'm going to let them wash. They wash dishes all the time. But whenever Hannah came from the womb, you know, she'll turn 17 here in, in uh, June. Chet will turn uh, 18. You'll turn 18? June. Okay, Chet will turn 16. You turn 16? Okay, Chet will turn 16. Um, Chet will turn 16 at the end of, of, the, of next month. Right? This is April, right? And, and, and listen, and they do, Chad takes out the trash. He washes the dishes. He's supposed to clean his room, right? Okay? They do all these tasks. But when, when Chad came out of, of the womb and, and they did the whole Simba, uh, I didn't go, ah, oh, my dishwasher is here. <laughs> my dishwasher is here, right? When Hannah was born, I didn't go, for she shall be known the taker of the trash. May she always fulfill her God-given duty and take the trash out, right? No, because our calling isn't what we do. Our calling is a mandate to be a woman and a man of God who produces the gospel in their life. And the gospel has effects no matter what area of occupation or whatever you're in. Whatever you do, the gospel shall be doing what the gospel does in and through your life. So really, I think some of the coolest people in the room are those of you who are in these, um, in these arenas in our city around people who need to experience the gospel. And my point to you is don't back off from being what God called you to be. God may have said you're, you're, you're evangelistic or God may have said you're prophetic or God may have said you're the best shepherd we have and, 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 and you're a pastor and you can pastor this office and you can pray for people and love on people and you, can, and you can show them the way of Christ and you can be the example of Jesus wherever you are. You understand what I'm saying? And so you have this calling and, and I feel like the three and a half years there's been great ups and there's been hard lows. And it's sometimes we just go, I just want to go fishing. I just want to go back to what is familiar and when and it ain't happening. And if there's one thing Jesus could come and, 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 and is stealing you again is, is to say, let's restore the calling on your life. Let's put you back into a, a, a frame of mind where you weren't put on this earth to be your job. You were put on this earth to be the gospel. So you may say, Pastor Chester, uh, what is your plan in the rebirth of our church of growing the church and making it successful again? You know what the plan is? You doing what God called you to do. And if that happens... There's no way this church doesn't grow. And, and when I say grow, I do not mean only numbers. I mean in discipleship, in death, in quality, in quantity too. But there's no area that growth doesn't happen for the body if every member is well jointed together and doing its part. And it's almost like the scripture says it will cause whole growth for the body. We have had it so backwards in America that we look at so uh, you know if uh, come here Andrew come here uh, come here um, come here Cleegy, right? Jackie's not Jackie's uh, not here. Come here, y'all run up here real fast. We look at the we look at the run Cleegy run or right, walk real fast, okay? All right. <laughs> this is how the this is how the church used to grow. This is, this is what we, we can't go back to. And it, it, was, it was the deal where there's, there's people up here, and we would say they're called to the ministry. As if there's this separation that actually doesn't exist between people who aren't called and people who are called. That, that's, there are different gifts and offices, but everyone is called. Okay, as a matter of fact, the situation we're at in the body of Christ is that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And the laborers aren't more people like them. It is Y-O-U, okay? 
You are the laborers. Everybody say, I'm a laborer, okay? All right, and so, and so the, 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 the old paradigm, the old paradigm is everybody here looks to everybody here to do their calling, and then the church would grow. The biblical paradigm is we equip you to do your calling, and then the church explodes. Like, it cannot work. Now, let me use a double negative. It cannot not work. It makes sense? Like, it must work if that's the way it is, because that's the way the scripture lays it out, right? So we assist you and equip you and build you up, and, and, and you come to the armory to get equipped, and built up and strengthened in your faith to send you out as the call in, in, in your gifts and in your callings and to go do them and then watch your tree begin to bear fruit and watch people come to sit under the shade of what you have provided in, in, in the Lord. And, 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 and then you bring them into the family, right? And you bring them into the family and then, and then the whole thing just begins to flourish and flourish and flourish and flourish and flourish. So the key isn't get a better pastor Y'all stuck. Y'all is S-T-U-C-K. You're stuck. And so the point is, you're not getting a better pastor. What we don't need, yes, I can improve, but what we don't need is a better pastor. What we need is a better people operating in their calling. Not better because you're not good, but a better adherence to, to fulfilling the call of God in everybody's life. Now, I want to ask you one important question. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. I want to ask you one important question. I need you to answer it in your head, not out loud. And I want, you, I want you to tell me what it is. Not tell me. Answer me in your head, like me and you having an imaginary conversation. What's the call of God on your life? There's three tons of people here this morning. It's one, you don't know. Let's help you with that, okay? Two, you know and you're doing it. Just keep on rocking. Uh, I would say to you, don't grow weary in well-doing. And then number three, it's you know. But see, nothing looks the same and you've backed off of your calling. And the whole point of this message is, in the same way Peter was restored to his calling right after resurrection, I present to you this idea, this message, that as we have celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the next step is for us as a body to return to our callings. Again, you may be a not spring chicken, well, you know, what am I, I going to do? I need every person in this room over a certain age. We need you the most. You know why? Because this younger generation doesn't know what to do. Somebody say amen. And the scripture literally says, call upon the elders and the grandmas and the grandpas to show the younger ones how to do it. And we're in desperate need of some of, some of you, you people of, uh, that aren't spring chickens anymore to pull one of these young people aside and begin to speak into their life. It's part of literally the calling of your life as you increase in age. That's literally, literally part of the calling of your life as you increase in age is to talk to this, this younger generation about, about what it looks like to walk after the Lord. Amen? So we need that. We need young people. When I say young people, I mean from, from a teenager, a preteen teenager, all the way up to, you know, I don't know what's considered young anymore. I'm 42. That's pretty young, right? So all the way up to that, we need you to run hard after your calling. There, there's a temptation for young people that when you're young, you do what you want to do. And I'm saying that doesn't have to be your story. When you're young, you can be sold out to Jesus and you can do what Christ has called you to do. Somebody say amen. All right. And, and again, I don't I want to I want to try to wipe if I can all the previous teachings about what your calling may mean or what it doesn't mean. Just because you're not called to full time occupational ministry doesn't make you uh, not called. You are extremely called by God. I mean, you are, I mean, in other words, the church is literally nothing without you and your calling. 
That's scripture. Okay? When the body of Christ is missing a part, it doesn't, then, then, then the, the whole body suffers. So I want to say, I want to say twofold. We need everybody, and if you don't do your part, then we're not as successful as a people as we could be if you did. That's the nicest way I know how to say that. But when we all do our part, and again, Peter looked at John, and he said, well, his part looks different than my part, because it is. He doesn't die until much later, <laughs> right? Okay, and uh, you're not getting boiled, okay? But he's getting boiled, okay? So you're, his, his part is different than your part. But, you, but, but this isn't comparison. This isn't, well, you know, uh, Amy is this, and, 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 and uh, uh, she's this, and so, you know, I'm not like her, and she's not. Of course you're not, and this isn't comparison. This isn't a competition for sure. This is when every person does its part. It's like a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle that gets put together and paints a beautiful beautiful picture of the church of Christ. Does that make sense? When every person does his part, it's all built up. And so what the, the whole point of this sermon is literally to say, just like Peter needed a moment where Jesus comes and reaffirms his calling, today, today, again, cast your net on the other side. Go back and do something that you've not done in a long time. Watch God do and use you. One word from Jesus and Peter's net was about to explode. I bring that up to say this. Don't think because you're just, I'm just a church Christian. Don't think that God couldn't explode inside of you. True, effective ministry for the kingdom of God. In this room, there's lots of nets and there's lots of fish that if we, if, if we just kind of commit to throwing and casting our net out. That makes sense? So here's the thing. You are called. When Jesus rose from the dead, more so when Jesus reaffirmed, listen to me, when Jesus reaffirmed Peter's calling, there was a decision to move forward and not let the disillusionment of the past have any more control over his future and his calling. Does that make sense? And so here's what I say. Everything looks different. I'm not talking about just the physical building we're sitting in, but everything looks different. The world looks different. Okay? Uh, Christianity in America looks different than it did uh, uh, three and a half years ago, right? A lot of that is good. Some of that is not good. Matter of fact, a recent poll just came out that said Christianity is literally nose diving in our country. Nose diving. You want to know what the answer to that problem is? You and your calling. You and your calling. It's, it's this idea, and I've brought this up several times throughout our journey that we've been on together. Pay attention. When the children of Israel were walking through the wilderness, there was no fruitfulness. There was no ministry. It was 100% just survive. And as they're walking through the wilderness, it's just try to survive. And if you're just trying to survive, an entire generation dies off. But see, when you, when you cross the river from wilderness to promised land, what makes it the promised land is that it is fruitful and it flourishes. And now when you plant your seed in the ground, it's not in a desert soil. It's in a fertile, rich ground, and you can expect return off the seed. I keep trying to say we need to get out of wilderness survival mode.
as individuals, as a church, our life has been up and down for three and a half years. It's been in and out. It's been crazy. But no longer are we in survival mode. No longer are we just trying to to, to make it to the next day and just put one foot in front of the other. And, and No, we have actually, we are, we are in the process of crossing the river into a promised land where we we'll still got battles to fight. We still got giants to slay, but, we still, that, but we're in a land promised by God that can flourish. And we need to expect milk and honey and fruitfulness, right? We need to expect this season upon us. Your days of just surviving are over. Amen. And if you will plant, if you will, if you will take your calling and put it back into practice, you will be shocked at how God's going to use you in this day and in this hour. The hope of the gospel for our country is not a person who sits in a political office. Come on, church. The hope of our country is not in a person who holds a political office. It is the church of God in Christ who takes their calling and lives it out. And we will see, we will see fruitfulness. Like, like, like I, I don't think, I, I think revival gets better the closer we get to the end of the age, not a distant memory. Stand up on your feet. Everybody, real quickly, close your eyes, okay? And I want you to pray a very, a very dangerous prayer. If you're ready to pray this prayer, I want you to pray this very dangerous prayer. Eyes closed. I'm going to tell you what the prayer is, one sentence. I'm going to tell you what the prayer is, and I want you to decide if you want to pray it. The prayer is this. Don't repeat after me. Don't say it even in your heart right now. Just listen to the prayer. The prayer is a simple request. God, help me fulfill my calling. God, use me to fulfill your will. Two things I need you to do. Did you decide if that's a prayer you want to pray? I hope it is. I pray that it is. And that I need you to allow God to use you in your calling. Whatever it looks like, and whatever manifestation your calling takes on, but make no mistake about it, you are called. And it is a spiritual mandate of the gospel on your life. God, give us the grace and the courage to pray that prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I love you. Welcome. 